Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hey everybody, welcome to another Plundergrounds. I've got six minutes of call-ins on magical road travel uh, to start the podcast off with, and then we are going to talk about the age of gaming magazines. So stay tuned for that. And here we have calls from Brian, Judd, and Goblin's Henchman. Uh, Brian is a first-time caller from Down Under, which is awesome. And uh, Judd has his own podcast called Daydreaming About Dragons. So does Goblin's Henchman. has a podcast called Goblin's Henchman. And I'll put links to those in the show notes. But here they are with some wise words on ways to get from point A to point B by magic in a fantasy campaign. Hey, Ray, this is Brian calling in from way down here in Brisbane. First time caller, long time listener. I love your pod and listening to the latest episode on fantasy travel. I wanted to call and recommend a book. If you have not read it, it's called Black Leopard, Red Wolf. It's by Marlon James. It's actually the first of a trilogy, the second uh, volume just came out, but the first book, uh, just a bit of background, it is absolutely fantastic. It was a bit hard to get through uh, for me, at least the first time I started to read it until I really got into it and then kind of flew through the second half. It's heavily influenced by African uh, mythology, so it's a bit of a different take, but the main reason is it has a really cool system of a bit of fantasy travel. I don't want to give too much away about it, mainly because it is a bit of a mystery as you go through at least the first volume until you get to the later stages of the book. And it was a revelation for me. It made a lot of other things in the story make sense. But just suffice to say, there are definitely some uh, some quicker ways of traveling. And travel plays a big part in this book, as the whole premise is the the, uh, the, the party, which is a little bit like a, a D&D party with some problems is, is looking for a child that's that's the going into the plot and this this travel i'd say device becomes a big factor and you learn different things but uh without giving too much away about it it's really interesting because if you talked about the cost there's definitely a cost and there's a definitely a way that you have to use this device and even as they go through the course of the story uh when it comes up it's a bit debated so yeah check that out black leopard red wolf thanks man hey ray it's judd uh i just listened to your show latest show about uh about you know ways to travel, magical ways to travel, and uh, absolutely was kind of nodding along with you. Uh, I, I had a thing in our D&D, in my D&D game I run on Thursday nights called The God Roads, which I actually had written notes on years ago in some notebook that I was carrying around, and then one of the players, you know, uh, one of the players ended up in the body of a god, of a dead god, uh, and and I'm not going to dig into how that happened, but be, because of that, um, I allowed that character to see where the where the where the gates and the little uh, doorways to the the god roads were. Um, and they were usually like behind a you know near a temple or behind a shrine, and then 
they could walk these roads that 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 could cut down on on travel time and allow you to you know more easily travel between worlds um i, I made I, i'll send you the blog post about it uh there was a a uh, you know i made a, a different encounter table for it and i wanted to, the the idea of a place with its own ecology and and kind of a world behind the world uh, which which was fun it was a lot of fun and it it, it changed the game entirely uh when when that player went you know changed bodies again and and went into a different body uh you know they lost their access to the god roads and and it was a it was a whole thing so it was pretty cool uh it was a lot of fun and i i think i i, I wouldn't say it, it 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 got rid of travel i think it just made travel different maybe even stranger and that was a lot of that was it was cool. It gave them a way to you know a really fast exit point uh, to a lot of situations they were in, which was neat. And but they had to they had to find the gate right. They had to find the way in and out. And and so very often, you know, they'd be looking for shrines and temples and stuff so that they could find their way to back to the God Roads. And yeah, good stuff. Uh, I, I was reminded of the Wheel of Time series. There were those. Uh, waypoints or, or I don't know there was some kind of way roads I don't remember what they were called but in 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 the wheel of in Robert Jordan's wheel of time books uh, there was also kind of a a, a road behind the world uh, that people could travel that that was made in ancient times and the, the you know the magic of their making is lost blah 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 and and in in those books it was even a little broken so uh, that's just like something I definitely stole from Jordan that I probably didn't even remember until the TV show came out. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's where I got the God Roads from, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, so good stuff. Uh, thanks for thanks for the show, and thanks for kind of inspiring me to think about that a little bit. And uh, I hope you're well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi Ray, Goblin Centurion here. So I think the Anchor app is still working for me because I haven't updated it for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I think keep the music. I think it's fun. Um, people don't have to listen to it and I think they can probably endure a couple of minutes if they have to while pumping iron. <laughs> That's the problem. I like the dad jokes too. Um, but yeah, tra- travel. One, one, one that occurs to me is the, the way they do it in the Wheel of Time series by Robin Jordan. They have something called the ways, which are basically like a, a series of paths that connect two way gates together, which were kind of these gates that were grown in a sort of ogre, ogre whatever they're called, kind of ogre race steading, which are kind of a peaceful race of giants. Anyway, but uh, over time they became corrupted. They used to be like plentiful and, and you know, uh, short ways of travel, but now they're dangerous. So I think that would be a fun way to do it. So you've got these set paths, sort of Garden of Yin style possibly. Um, anyway, you can look it up on YouTube. There's an explanation if you don't know. Okay, so now that you bring it up, I'm thinking that there was a similar way of travel uh, to the Rose and Wheel of Time in Robin Hobbs' uh, Assassin trilogy. That starts with, I think it's called Assassin's Apprentice. It's the first book. Good, good set of books, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how many times this idea has come up, right? It's an archetypal idea, um, uh, the ability to travel from from one place to another via a portal of some kind. 
And uh, one wonders where that's buried in our psyche, like what experience in the lives of primitive humans uh, bring brought about this concept? Was it uh, moving from bright daylight through a cave mouth into like another world, you know, the, inside the cave? Um, was it, uh, who knows? I mean, like what, <laughs> was it literal Stargates? You know, we've seen the, the movie and the TV show Stargate. And, uh, but I just, it's cool to think about that. And um, Stonehenge is, is the one that people often, uh, I believe the beginning of Andre Norton's uh, uh, Witch World has uses Stonehenge as a kind of time travel slash fantasy world travel gate. It's, and there's a whole name for it in, uh, fiction called portal fantasy, right? Now, portal fantasy, a little different than than this idea of hidden roads. Uh, portal fantasy is mostly a, a fictional convenience for translating someone from the quote-unquote real world into a fictional world. So like the wardrobe uh, that gets the kids into Narnia is a portal fantasy. So that's a little different. But in Narnia, in the uh, what is arguably the first book, um, not the first book published, but one of the first books, actually the first book chronologically, Magician's Nephew, there is kind of a nexus of worlds where uh, the a series of pools and they go to these pools and then you can jump into a pool and you end up in a world. Again, not quite the same as a road because that's from world to world as opposed to like from one point in the world to another point in the world. But it's kind of a fascinating concept and uh, this idea of being able to travel quickly to um, change up your scenery, if you will, or to get to another place in a timely way that you couldn't otherwise. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll think of, um, here's another good example, actually. The Dragon Riders of Pern, uh, the dragons can teleport their their riders and themselves to, uh, telepathically, telekinetically. I'm not sure uh, what, what you'd use there. Uh, but they go between, and between is this extremely cold, and scary space where you can't really breathe, but you're only there for a couple seconds and then you pop out wherever you're supposed to go. Now, um, the, the more accurately you envision where you're going, the less time you spend between, and, but also there's a factor of distance and time. Um, uh, spoiler, uh, there's, uh, yeah, this really is a spoiler. So sorry if you haven't read those books. It's been, they've been out for ages, but and I don't think this totally spoils the books, but it is kind of a surprise factor in them um, that uh, eventually they discover that dragons can travel through time as well as space, but it's very difficult and taxing. Um, there's a cost to be paid. So uh, where was I going with this? Just this idea that like, you know, the magic of being, I don't know if it's a wish fulfillment where we wanted to be able to like travel to see a loved one or to get a medicine from uh, from one place to another to save somebody in time or, um, to move an army or whatever it is, the, the kind of wish fulfillment we wish we could, you know, teleport, um, beam me up, right, from 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 one place to another quickly, um, or whether there's some primal experience that leads to that. It's a cool thing to think about. But those are those are great call-ins. Thank you everybody for that. Um, thank you, Brian, for uh, for your kind words about the podcast and for um, that interesting book recommendation. Definitely going to put that one on my list uh, and. Um, I'm hoping to have some more time to read here pretty soon. I'm stuck in the middle of the the 
books, uh, Gardens of the Moon, not because it's not interesting um, or addictive, but just because I was in the middle of something else when I started Books of the Moon and our Gardens of the Moon, and I um, uh, decided to go back and finish the other thing first. And so, so now I'm uh, open again to read that. I don't know. I've got too many things demanding my attention right now, and uh, none of them that are. Um, when I say demanding, it means it's all things that I want to entertain. It's not necessarily things that are actually grabbing. I'm lucky enough not to have anything right now that's actually um, robbing me of leisure time, like, uh, you know, uh, an aging parent or something. Well, I do have aging parents, but they, they're doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, gosh, I'm lost my way. Um, so today I wanted to talk about, we're just going to just ungracefully exit out of that topic. Uh, today I wanted to talk about magazines. And this question came to us from someone on Discord. Uh, I just sort of threw it out there yesterday. What should I podcast about? And this is what came in. The question was posed by RC of the of, uh, Red Caps. I guess RC stands for Red Caps. Uh, and he says, uh, I'd love to hear you talk about older RPG magazines if you have any thoughts or memories on them. I've been reading a bunch over the last few days and finding it very enjoyable. Besides the cool content, I'm loving seeing old adverts for games and the classifieds where people are searching for groups, etc. So um, I'm actually going to start with the, that bit of minutia there at the end, which is that uh, often reprints of things like comic books, for instance, will dump out the advertisements because those people didn't pay for the you know reprint or whatever right they're not backing but the shame of that is is that you lose the context this happens with old-time radio uh, programs as well people that quote unquote preserve the old-time radio dramas sometimes uh, will intentionally cut out commercials um, or we'll be working from the transcription disc, which didn't have the commercials. It just had like a pause for commercials. So, uh, but then you lose this, you lose the history, right? So there's um, a couple episodes of Dimension X where they break in to talk about the Korean War, uh, which is which is really interesting. And then um, some of the old Gunsmokes, for instance, I remember hearing commercials for the T-Zone, I think, uh, which was um, how cigarettes were good for the ear, nose, and throat, the T-Zone. So, <laughs> you know, it's, um, I guess that's not funny in some ways because it probably led at least some people to smoke and some of those people died of cancer. Um, so that's not funny, but it's kind of in retrospect, you have to laugh at how naive or, or how, uh, let's hope it was naivete. I probably wasn't, um, how, uh, nefarious that advertising was and if you lose that context if it gets pulled out of those shows so uh, yeah I, I think one of the one of the great things about these old magazines is the the way you can kind of time travel by looking at the advertisements and the the column you know the the letters to the editor and the requests for uh, gaming partners and things like that that go on in these magazines uh but let me let me kind of step away uh, or higher i guess you know kind of fly a high here and look at this from the hundred foot view first which is uh there was an age of uh, of magazines right now i i would say that the age of magazines um Dun dragon magazine was not the first magazine um i'm not even sure it was the first role-playing game magazine i think it I think it probably was, but it, it started in 1976. Um, prior to 76, there were wargaming, mostly newsletters. I believe there was at least one magazine um, 
but there were there are various wargaming uh, periodicals. Um, but around 76, with the advent of D&D in 74 and some other games that came out shortly thereafter, you start having these gaming magazines. So I'm going to call the age of the gaming magazine from 1976 to, uh, well, these magazines officially stopped publication in 2007, but um, yeah, I, I, let's just call it there. I think it really the kind of died out a little bit before that in a way, but yeah, so that's the age, 76 to 2007 was the age of the magazine, and it was preceded by the age of the newsletter um, or the wargaming magazine, and it was, uh, what's the word for post-seeded? It was succeeded <laughs> by, by um, the internet, right? By uh, media forms on the internet, which oddly are, are um, so I'm going to say they're much more ephemeral, which is funny because it's easier to preserve digital stuff and make it readily available. And yet, and yet, uh, outside of things like the Wayback Machine or whatever, these, the sources, uh, the, the problem is that it's kind of like, if somebody, it's easy to flip on a light switch and leave it on. Uh, but the minute somebody switches it off, the light is gone, right? And in the internet world, um, if sources of these copies, even if they're multiple sources, kind of shut down, it's it gets harder and harder to find these things, and uh, some of them are just gone, and, and we and we know that, right? But uh, so, like, there's some really early podcasts, for instance, that I've got copies of. That I wonder if anybody, you know, there's probably other people out there that have copies of them, but I don't think they're available anywhere on the internet at this point. Well. Um, in a way that like, uh, so if I was going to point is that my point is that they're oddly more ephemeral than a physical thing, which can, um, which gets rarer and rarer as time goes by. So, but there are tons and tons of people selling these old dragons and, and dungeon magazines on eBay. So you can still get a hold of these things. Now, a collection will cost you more than it used to be than it used to. Uh, uh, if you find the right person at the right time, maybe even today, you could just inherit a collection, right? Where people have finally stopped, uh, gotten tired of moving their physical magazines around and realized they have PDF copies somewhere and just say, you know what, I got to get rid of these um, uh, and we'll hand them off. But, you know, every year we lose some of those to like flooding and uh, people just dumping them or whatever, fires, um, and they become rarer and rarer, and yet they are still, in a way, it's, it's still easier to find an old physical copy of a magazine than it is to find the digital copies, uh, certainly legally. Now, illegally, if you want to go to like Pirate, you know, one of the different Pirate Bay extens extensions or whatever, um, I think on file sharing, you can still fairly easily find the um, all the back episodes of Dungeon and Dragon. And... Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to do that, except that um, it's you can't you can't really buy them anywhere, as far as I can tell. Uh, if you can buy them somewhere, somebody please let me know. And if you can't buy them somewhere and you decide to go get them illegally, be careful. Um, you know, most of these sites have their um, lurking. Uh, well, they always say if you're not if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, right? Somebody's paying to get access to you or somebody's making money off of that somehow. And you got to be careful about that because it can be, uh, can be nefarious, but they, they are out there and you can get all of them having, uh, you know, but that's not the same, right? It's not the same to read something digitally and it is, it is to read it 
uh, in a magazine. So let me talk about some of those differences and how the world has changed a little bit. Um, first of all, um, reading something digitally, you have to have, uh, if you're going to read something high color, high, you know, layout, high complexity, of high complexity visually, you're going to want something like an iPad, right? Or, or at least a Kindle Fire or whatever. And those things cost money. Um, they have to be charged. You have to protect them, uh, meaning everything from cases and screen covers all the way up to just like not leaving your bag unattended um, under a table at a convention or something, right? Uh, so you, they, they carry with them the, the burden of anxiety of loss um, and the cost of loss. And uh, I don't know very many people that treat their tablets the way they would treat an old magazine which means you could just like, you know, you can roll it up and stick it in your hip pocket. You could throw it on the table while you're eating lunch and just set your food right on top. You know, you plate the food, right. Or your greasy burger napkin right on top of it or whatever. Now I'm making people cringe because some people were very careful with these magazines, but they were, they were magazines were uh, considered kind of throwaway media, right? They were supposed to be stuff that you read and, and they weren't necessarily things that you were supposed to keep, forever. Um, and yet they had so much value that people did keep them. And I think Dragon and Dungeon in particular had this kind of long-term value, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I, I want to talk first, just talk about the experience. So if I'm carrying a magazine around, <clears throat> it's high color, high gloss in a way that um, it's so funny because like looking at something on a tablet, it's, it's as colorful as it can be, right? It's backlit. It's um, super bright and attractive. Uh, and yet, um, I, I know this from having read comics both ways. Uh, even though it's really cool on an iPad and you can like zoom in and um, do all kinds of stuff, like there's kind of frame by frame guides and all this, you know, where you can almost like animate your way through the comic um, or slideshow the way th your way through it. Uh, even with all those advantages and the ability to hold, you know, hundreds or thousands of comics on your iPad at one time, uh, even with all that, uh, there's, it doesn't replace the look and feel of having a trade paperback in your hand. And the two primary components there, it's not about weight and all that kind of stuff. I get that. I mean, I, some people just like the tactile bit of it. I understand that. Um, but for me, it's one, the ability to flip backwards and forwards quickly. And two, um, this kind of immediate uh, ability to perceive the whole and the part at the same time, meaning you can be looking at a frame, but in your peripheral vision, everything else is like there, like the whole spread of the page. And your eyes are so good at like flicking around um, and your brain's so good at processing information that you are more free to roam that page than you are on an iPad. Um, I believe, I believe. And it just, it, it's a different kind of experience. It's, uh, and it, and it's also the difference, you know, on eye strain, which we could talk about, which is why some people, myself included, like to read on a Kindle, but not so much on an iPad, uh, is just because of the, the amount of light hitting your eyes and what direction it comes from. On a Kindle, any, the LED lights are directed down at the surface, uh, so that you're, Basically, it's like having a book on a table with a reading light, whereas um, a, a an iPad or tablet is the light is it's like rear projection. It's shining directly into your eyes through the you know through the pixels, and that definitely causes fatigue over time. Uh, 
but okay, so that's a little bit of the differences there. But the the just the lightweight nature of a magazine, the high color nature of a magazine, the kind of glossy pages, the feel of the pages, um, the cover art. You know, we, we talk about uh, every time you close, you know, you close the item, you see this massively awesome cover. We talk about like albums, how when we went from albums to eight tracks and cassettes and stuff, we lost the large format artwork. And so albums became less and less inventive or creative or, or invested in their covers. And uh, these days I've, I've talked about this before where book covers have become lazy in that they are mostly just giant text that appears in a, that's readable in a thumbnail or eye catching in a thumbnail, big graphic design, you know, uh, color choices and shapes, uh, as opposed to full on illustrations, which used to walk in, used to walk down the aisle of paperbacks for science fiction and fantasy. And all those covers were promises about what was inside. And the magazines were the same thing. They were competing for your attention on a rack. So you go up to the rack and there'd be all these magazines and um, even competing with themselves so that they're like, if you go to a game store where all the magazines were Dungeon, Dragon, Shadis, uh, whatever, uh, there was a bunch of them, right? Phoenix, uh, different times, different ones. Uh, Interplay, was that is that right? The metagaming one? Um, Journal of the Traveler's Aid Society, which wasn't really a magazine, um, kind of more like a periodical digest c compilation. I'm not sure what you'd call that. Um, but they were all, they had all these different ones, right? And also the, like the hobby magazines like Wizard and uh, Scry and different ones of those uh, that were competing for your attention. But uh, sometimes it was like several issues of Dragon, like last month's and the month's previous issue that hadn't sold completely, competing with the most recent issue. And you would have choices based on the visuals. And so it was a combination of these beautiful illustrations uh, that would grab your attention enough to read like, you know, what the what's inside, right? You get a couple. Sometimes you even read those. Like, um, I can remember the cover. This isn't a great example of a beautiful cover, but I can remember the cover when, when Dungeon went to Polyhedron Magazine was managed by Paizo for a while, and it was a flip magazine. So it said Polyhedron on one side and Dungeon on the other, I believe. Uh, but the Polyhedron cover, one time I saw... Um, uh, a, a Spelljammer like reference, right? There's this kind of drow, I think it was, uh, in space. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's Spelljammer, right? I didn't need the little side thing that said, um, hey, this issue is about Spelljammer. So, but you would carry these magazines around and you would read them in spare moments and leisure time on the bus, whatever. The way, the places now where we look at our phone, that's where we used to look at these magazines. And I can remember having them in school and like looking at them between classes or whatnot and, uh, uh, or sneaking them into places where I shouldn't, you know, have where I was supposed to be doing other things uh, to read these magazines. And because of that, the content, you spent a lot more time with this content than you would have maybe even, in reading a book, you know, where you're just going in a very linear fashion from beginning to end in a magazine, you would kind of jump around, um, you dive into specific things. Maybe one day you felt like reading fiction. So you'd read a piece of fiction. Another day you, you, you were interested in, um, you know, one of the classes that they had to present or a type of types of weapons. I remember I, I was like the exotic weapons articles, like, uh, where they would tell you how to, you know, stat out a boomerang as opposed to the kind of things that appears in the, the, the uh, well, probably the player's handbook, I guess, depending on 
yeah. So uh, they were just super cool that way. And like in looking at ads and thinking about what you're going to buy next, like miniatures that you want or books that are coming out. And, uh, you know, there was just nexus of stuff, right? Um, there were ads for uh, uh, like science fiction book club. There were ads for gaming uh, materials like mats and dice. Um, there were ads for all, all kinds of third party products. Um, and, and gaming accessories and um, clubs and like everything. And they said, depending on the age, they kind of changed right from age to age. Uh, 76 to 2007 is a big spread. Uh, historically, technologically, there's a lot going on there, right? But uh, the first advent of computer games, right? You see some of the, you've just traced the, the history of computer game ads in these magazines. What That in itself is a history. Well, uh, these things were, these things were magic. They were great to like carry around and just kind of absorb. Um, and we just don't, it, it's funny now that like um, having the ability to have all these at our fingertips that we just don't do the same things with them. I don't know if we're spoiled for choice. If there's too much information and our way of dealing with too much information is to get narrow and narrower with our gate, you know, like what we allow in and when we allow it in, um, when you're hungry for information and there's a lot less information out there, you tend to absorb each source much better and think more analytically about it and kind of pour over it. When there's a billion sources of information and you can only absorb so many, you tend to, uh, touch on, uh, you only pay attention to the ones that can speak to you the most quickly that you can absorb the most quickly. Um, and that don't make any mistakes, right? You can, uh, uh it's a brutal world for media right now in that sense. Uh, if you make them, if you, if you make a mistake, you're gone. Um, somebody just stops like I could, who knows? I mean, maybe this podcast is turned this particular issue of the podcast is turning somebody off and they may never listen to me again because of something I said on this on this one podcast or just because I went too long. It's been 17 minutes of me rambling about magazines sort of at this point in a very incoherent way, I think uh, just random thoughts, but I, it's a, it's a really interesting subject to me. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of fondness uh, in my heart and mind and memories, you know, of, of the way that these magazines affected my life. And there were times when I was regular, you know, it couldn't wait for the new issue to come out. And there were times I would just pick them up, you know, because like I had an extra a few bucks and, and uh, was buying a product or because the, this cover interested me for that episode or because there was a couple pages that interested me um, or because I was bored and I was on vacation and everything else, you know, I didn't bring enough or whatever reason I would pick these things up and just spend time with them. And, uh, they were amazing. They were amazing. So there were two publications that, that went with Dungeons and Dragons. And those were of course, Dungeon and Dragon. How, how clever, um, a dragon ran from 76 to 2007 dungeon ran from 1986 to 2007. And, uh, dungeon was much more focused on usable, like adventures and side quests and stuff. It was, uh, whereas Dragon was more, um, here's some new classes, or here's new weapons, or here's how to play your game, or here's some fiction. It was, it was more a variety magazine, right? Um, I was a huge fan of Dungeon for a while, uh, and there was enough content in Dungeon that you really never needed to buy a module. You could have you could have just picked up that magazine month to month and just played whatever pieces of it you wanted to, and probably never ever run out of material. Um, but it was amazing to see how different people set up adventures, how they sort of paced adventures, what kinds of 
the uh, story ideas that came into play. Um, sometimes they were a little predictable, right? But that in itself is a lesson. You can say, okay, well, maybe I should avoid that because it's, you know, everybody does that. It's kind of predictable, um, which is not necessarily bad, but, you know, uh, it can get old, right? Something can get stale. And uh, yeah, they were, they were amazing. Um, but and I don't know much. I, I've read a few other magazines. I know that Fighting Fantasy had one called Warlock. Um, of course, uh, Citadel, right, uh, had, um, uh, uh, or Games Workshop had uh, The White Dwarf, uh, which started out not as a, uh, the, uh, there's a lot of fans of early White Dwarf that were, it was The White Dwarf before the Citadel Miniatures Warhammer Age, right, uh, when those, when that took over the magazine. And uh, in those early days, much like in the early days of Dragon Magazine, uh, the early days of Dragon Magazine, you had more attention paid to things like, um, uh, oh, what was the science fiction game that happened on the starship, uh, the colony ship? Why can't I think of it? Metamorphosis Alpha. Uh, Metamorphosis Alpha and Top Secret and uh, 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 Boot Hill and different things like that, you know, would, would make it into the magazine more so than in later years when it became just strictly a, a house magazine for, um, for Dungeons and Dragons. But the uh where was i going with this so white dwarf had all kinds of material in there right for different games different uh systems different um settings uh yeah so that was it was much much more had much more variety um like i said i remember shadis i remember um Gosh, what could, I remember there's one called The Phoenix. I didn't read it much. I've got some I've got some digital copies of some of these that I keep meaning to dig into more heavily. But um, again, I think I think maybe I should just go to eBay and buy a couple copies because I'd pay more attention to them if I had them in my hand. Well, yeah. So we'll, what replaced them? Well, today we live in the age of YouTubes. And uh, so you have YouTube people that you follow. Um, you have D&D has its own little digital magazine, which I don't know if it's any good now. I, when they first started it, I thought it was kind of interesting, but it mostly sucked. Um, and uh, I didn't like I didn't like consuming it. Um, they've got their kind of web pages, I guess. Right. Blogs are even better. Blogs are the best if if uh, because they're material from, uh, you know, third party, not even third party, independent creators. Right. I mean, they are third parties, but they're not really like companies. Um and those are those are really cool, but all those things kind of together—they're not any one. They're not bound up in such a way, and they're not polished in the way that not, not that there wasn't lots of mistakes in Dragon and Dungeon Magazine, but um, there was a certain rigor uh, that those things had to go through. They had to go through editors, they had to go through layout, they had to go through everything. That kind of like a lot of work had to go into those. Some there was kind of a quality control panel, right? Uh, somebody tried to make those quality publications, whereas in a blog or YouTube, um, quality is just more of a competitive advantage than it is like a, a byproduct of the of the creation process. Um, people go for quality so that you'll pay attention to them, or so they'll rise to the top. But it's uh, I don't know. It's always just more democratic, I guess. But it's it's an interesting world, um, and I don't think as cool as it is, I don't think the content. In, uh, in some ways it's better, right? But in most ways, I think it's worse. Um, not because it's worse advice or worse uh, ideas or anything like that, but just because it's uh, our, the way our attention is uh, brokered on these things, it 
it, uh, what am I trying to say? It engenders, it, it supports, it encourages a shallow, um, clickbaity approaches to things. Um, and people that are going to spend more time with something, get less airplay. Uh, they're just, people don't, don't want to invest, right? They've got, um, they've got a pocket full of change, but they, but they're moving through a, a bazaar of endless wonders. And so they have to kind of ration out their money as opposed to, um, you know, I'm having nostalgia for, for scarcity, which is weird, but like, as opposed to having a pocket full of change and being in a dime store, a single dime store that has, um, you know, 20 bins of candy, right? Like you, you only got so many places to make your choices. <laughs> so you have to buy something that's there. You can't, you don't have endless choice. I don't know. That was a terrible analogy. I don't even know if I'll keep this recording. <laughs> if I do, um, I thank you for your patience in listening to this. It's uh, been a little bit of a weird ride today. Um, and I haven't, my brain and my mouth, I don't think we're all that connected. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about it. There's something, something visceral and there's something I miss about magazines. It's hard to put my, my fingers on, right. It's hard to put my, my mind on it and say what it is, but I just, it feels like we've lost something, if uh, something big with those. And I still, I don't have some of it. I still buy magazines now and then um, the Smithsonian, if you want to see what a, like a quality magazine looks like, like Smithsonian is a really good one. Uh, New Yorker is actually really good. If, if, but if you, you know, you have to be interested in what they're talking about, but oh my gosh, the New Yorker, the look and feel of that thing is so dialed in the font choices, the layout, the, the, even the cartoons, you know, they've got their quintessential line art cartoons, uh, comic, comic panels, right. That are, that they're famous for. Um, there are certain magazines out there that I'll still pick up just for the, just for the thrill of them, just for the look and feel, um, but uh, uh, Smithsonian's one that's just got good history, right? I've got one uh, sitting on my end table right now that is uh, the search for King Arthur. I haven't cracked it yet, to, you know, to read that article. I'm kind of waiting for the right moment. But yeah, it's a good it's a good magazine. Um, there's so few left though, so few magazines that are worth looking at. And I picked up some magazines. Like uh, a good example is like an aquarium magazine. It might have a couple a, a couple articles but it's like 60 to 70% advertisements. And even the, even, so there's advertisements and then there's articles that are like advertisements, which is reviews of the latest tech, right? Um, here's this tech, here's that tech, here's the thing that just came out from this company. Those are still ads in a way. Uh, it's a consumer, it's like, it used to be consumer reports, right? It used to be a magazine devoted to that reviews and such. And now that's become kind of the norm and it feels like content, but really it's just a buyer's guide, which is a type of content. It's not the same as, um, you know, an article on what you do monthly to keep your water quality high in a fish tank. You know, that's, that's different. Um, instead it's, a you buy this product that'll keep your water, water quality high magically in a fish tank. Uh, <laughs> Or buy this electronic monitoring system that'll tell you what to do. Um, yeah, so, you know, consumer mentality, um, electronic media, d heat death of the universe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay, boomer, right? Okay, boomer. Um, yeah, I don't mean to bemoan lost. Uh, I don't mean to uh, in any way cast shade on 
new technologies, uh, although I'm sure I have here, but uh, in the service of saying something older was better, I just missed that older thing. And I think it, um, in throwing it away for things that are inarguably better on some, in some fashion, like more, more readily available, um, you know, easier to like update, correct, all that kind of stuff with digital media, um, has moving, you know, it can embed videos and sounds and all that kind of stuff for all those advantages. Um, we lost something with the old print bound, you know, uh, paper bound concepts, uh, and magazines of yore. And, um, yeah, luckily we can still get old copies of those, but that won't be forever. And maybe they'll, you know, they're just, they'll die. Um, and we'll find some way of, theoretically find some way of replacing them. It's not like pulp magazines, you know, were the origination of people like Conan or or, um, characters like Conan. Um, You know, they still have their life, right? Uh, People still collect those. uh, People still find stories in them to to republish. Um, And as they pass into the public domain, they even get more popular in a way. That's a little second, like Indian summer for them. But uh, they'll, they'll see their day when nobody cares about them anymore. And that'll, that'll be okay. That'll, that's what it is. Everything passes, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Hope you have a good week. <laughs> play games that you care about. Play with people that you care about. Care about the people you play with. And look out for those rest monsters. Um.